Well, it's a huge pleasure to be uh, asked to speak this morning at uh, Esther and Ethan's baptismal service. Uh, now, uh, there's many of you who are visitors here that uh, I don't know, and uh, for some of you, this might be the first baptismal service that you've been to, or at least the first uh, baptismal service you've been to where the person getting baptized is not a baby. Uh, so let me tell you what's going to happen when Esther and Ethan get baptized shortly. Uh, I think it's Ethan who's first, and then later Esther uh, will go down the steps into the water. If you can't see uh, all of this down here, by the way, don't worry. Uh, we've got a camera down the front, and we'll project it uh, up on the, on the wall so you'll be able to see um, what's going on. But there, uh, Nigel, one of the elders from the church, uh, he'll be down in the water already, and uh, he's going to ask uh, Ethan and Esther whether they've repented of their sin and they're trusting in Jesus Christ for their salvation. They'll answer yes, and he'll then lower them down completely under the water and then bring them back up, hopefully fairly quickly. Uh, so that's what's going to happen. But in terms of an explanation, that maybe doesn't help you terribly much because the key question is not what happens, but why it happens. So, you see, if I said, well, a wedding is somewhere where two people hold hands, make promises, and give each other a ring. I've told you what happens, but I haven't told you very much about a wedding. And I haven't really told you very much about a baptism yet. So let me try and do that. And it might be best if you think of baptism as a kind of cross between a christening, a wedding, and a funeral. A, a christening happens shortly after someone's born. It celebrates that birth. And this baptism is similar. Uh, we're here to celebrate Esther and Ethan being born. Now, you might think we're about 14 years too late, uh, but as, uh, uh, as uh, Esther, I think it was, who, who said, uh, we're here to celebrate spiritual birth, what the Bible calls being born again. And it can be hard to imagine because we, we can't see one another's souls but just as Esther and Ethan were physically born about 14 years ago, there came a time when they were born again spiritually, when their souls received new life in Jesus Christ. And we're here this morning to celebrate that. And just like people do in a christening, we're going to use water to help us to celebrate that. But rather than just sprinkling water, we're going to fully immerse, immerse Ethan and Esther into the water. Uh, now, the water represents two things. Firstly, it represents a cleansing, a, a washing away of sin, you might say. Now, now, just to be clear, this water doesn't really wash away sin. It's ordinary tap water, hopefully not too cold, but it doesn't do anything special. It's a picture of washing. And our souls, you see, don't need just a little bit of washing they need a lot of washing, a lot of cleansing, and that's why kind of full immersion really helps to illustrate that. Now, the second picture we get from baptism is one that Ethan mentioned. It's a picture of being buried and then being raised up to new life. Now, again, we're not really burying Ether and Esther this morning. It's really hard, by the way, to keep saying Easter. It's really hard. <laughs> I thought, I better, I better mention it before I make a mistake, and I shouldn't have mentioned it. Um, what was I saying? Yes, burial. Uh, we're not really burying them. It's, again, it's just a picture. But the idea is that when they come out of the water, uh, we're symbolizing the new life that they've received. So baptism's a bit like a christening. But it's also a bit like a wedding. A wedding's not valid unless you've got witnesses there. 
It's not just the bride and groom who've got to sign the register. The witnesses have to sign the register too. They're part of the legal process. Uh, do you remember the, the lines of a traditional wedding service? I call upon these persons here present that I, Prunella Octavia Ramsbottom, do take thee, Mortimer Cecil Cavendish, to be thy lawful wedded husband. And it's the same for baptism. A big part of baptism is there's people here to witness it. And I've got to say, Ethan and Esther, you done a great job about gathering witnesses uh, this morning. Uh, they didn't want to get baptized secretly. They want everyone to know about it. That's why you're all here. And that's why the service isn't just about the water. It's also very much about Ethan and Esther's words of testimony, which we've already heard so powerfully. So baptism, like a christening, because we celebrate new birth with water, it's like a wedding in that the witnesses are vital. But in some ways, baptism is more like a funeral than it is like a wedding. A difference between a wedding and a funeral is that you go to a wedding to make something happen. Whereas you go to a funeral because of what has already happened. Does that make sense? If, if you're getting married, you go to the wedding as Miss Ramsbottom, and you leave the wedding as Mrs. Cavendish. For both husband and wife, everything changes at the wedding. At the beginning of the wedding, you were two single people. At the end of the wedding, you're a married couple. You are changed, and it's the wedding that's changed you. Now, it's really important we all understand this. A baptism is not like that. It's not like that. Because when Ethan and Esther leave this service, they'll leave exactly the same as they came in, except a little damper. And that makes this service a bit like a funeral. Because nothing happens to the person who the funeral is for. They're exactly the same at the beginning of the funeral as they are at the end. They don't change. We go to a funeral not because of what will happen during the funeral. We go to a funeral because what has happened before the funeral. And in that sense, this baptism is like that. We're not here this morning to bring about some change in Esther and Ethan. We're here because of what's already happened. They've told you that. We're not here to make them into Christians. They've already become Christians. We're not here to wash away their sin. Their sins are already washed away. We're not here to give them spiritual life. They've already received spiritual life. That's what a baptism is. Now at this point in the service, I was planning to preach a brief sermon on Ephesians 2. But Esther's already beaten me to that. Uh, do you remember she said that the passage began with, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Easter and, I've done it again. Esther and Ethan, I've already told you, they've, they've gone to church all their lives. They've believed in God, in Jesus. They believed in what the Bible says. They didn't say this, but I'll say this. They're pretty good people. Uh, but nonetheless, the Bible says they were dead in their trespasses and sins. And the Bible doesn't just say that about them. It says it about us too. Ephesians 2 verse 3. This is the way in which we all once lived, the Apostle Paul says. He says, we were all by nature children of wrath. And therefore, actually that passage that we had read to us earlier from Ephesians 2 really matters. It can literally change your life. Not just your life here now, but change all eternity if you take the truths of that passage seriously. Because what we had in this passage 
is a, a story of what's happened to Ethan and to Esther. Uh, that passage tells us uh, what they were, dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, we don't use words trespass and sins very much uh, anymore. They're not terribly popular uh, words. But they both refer to the same thing, a breaking of God's standards. Uh, when you were younger, perhaps still today for many of you, uh, your parents have standards that they impose on you, maybe about how late you're allowed out at night or something. Uh, in work, uh, our bosses tend to have standards they impose on us. The government's got standards it imposes on us, and God has standards too. Thou shalt not kill, and so on. We heard some of that, didn't we? But listen, the point is, you and I have failed to live up to those standards. We all know it. We, we might resist the standards, rebel against the standards, pretend the standards aren't really there. But the standards that God has for us, we failed in. And the Bible says we're, we're born into that. We're born into that. Esther and Ethan have told us they were converted when they were just three years old. Are they really sinful, even at that age? Yeah, absolutely. Every parent here this morning knows you've got to work incredibly hard to teach your children to do what's right. Every parent has to discipline their children because free children frequently don't do what is right. We don't have to teach our children to be naughty, do we? They do that naturally. But we do have to teach them to be good. We have to teach them not to snatch, to play fairly, to take turns, to say sorry, whatever it might be. And as we grow older, those same sins are still there. We maybe cover them up a little bit better, but actually they show themselves in ever more serious ways. That's what we were by nature. But what we became then was the, the, the next bit of uh, the reading from Ephesians 2. God made Ethan and Esther alive together with Christ. He saved them by his grace. According to verse 6, there's a sense in which they're already seated in the heavenly realms. How about that? There, I can see Ethan sat there. Esther's over here. They're on the same chairs that uh, all of you are on. But actually, the Bible says, the passage that Fabiana read for us earlier, they're seated right now in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean they're going to kind of float off up to the ceiling. What it means is they already know something of the peace and contentment, security, happiness, joy, and knowing God's presence that heaven is full of. They know something of that now. And that was their testimony. And I think you can see that in them, can't you? Being a teenager's not always easy. But already being seated in the heavenly realms? Well, that makes a huge difference to our ability to navigate the difficulties and problems that life throws at us. And maybe that's something you would like to know for yourself, that peace and contentment and security and happiness and joy. So why not take up um, Esther and Ethan's invitation to chat uh, afterwards and find out more about that. It doesn't matter if you're older than three years old. Uh, there are many folk in our church who didn't become a Christian at three. They became a Christian maybe at 23 or at 63. I know people who've become Christians at near enough 93. You can be converted at any age and know this truth. So that's what happened to them. 
but now I want to just talk about briefly how it happened. So how did this come about? How did this new life come about? What did Esther and Ethan have to do to get this new spiritual life and be sure of heaven? Did they have to do penance? Did they have to live a certain lifestyle? Did they have to say certain things? Did they have to get a bit of paper signed by the vicar? What did they have to do to get the spiritual life? Well, the great thing about both Ethan and Esther's testimony is that they're both too young to remember exactly what happened. They can't tell you exactly what was said and done. And that's great, because it doesn't really matter exactly what was said and done. Because the precise words are important. It doesn't matter whether you're standing up, sitting down, kneeling down, or whatever it might be. None of that matters. What matters is this. Are you trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? And I can tell you this, because it was in the passage that was read, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that this is Ethan and Esther's testimony. It's by grace I've been saved, through faith. And it's not my own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that I cannot boast. So this service this morning is not about Esther and Ethan. We're not here to celebrate or congratulate them. We're here to thank God for what he has done in them. Now I hope that gives you hope. I hope that gives you hope because if it was down to us and down to what we had done, maybe you might think this morning, well, I could never do that. Esther and Ethan are different from me and different from you. We're all, we're all different from one another. And if you've got to be just like them to receive this, well, that rules lots of us out. But it's not about them. It's about God. It's not about who you are. It's about who he is. And if you go to him in repentance and faith, or if you go to him and maybe you think, I'm not repentant as I want to be, and I don't have as much faith as I think I need, here's the great thing. You can go to God and you can tell him just that. I don't have the faith that I want and I need. I'm not as repentant as I want to be. Lord, will you help me to believe? Will you help me to repent? And you'll find that he will do just that. So I want to finish with a word of application. How should we respond? How should we respond? We, we know how Esther and Ethan have responded, but how should we respond? And this is where I want to go to Ethan's reading, into Psalm 89. Uh, the first verse he read for us. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. That's how we should respond. It's what Ethan and Esther have been, have been doing today. But Ethan carried on and he read these verses. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. So, so hear the picture here. It's a picture of heaven. And in heaven are a load of angels. All right? Now, if you've grown up looking at those pictures of, of angels, of kind of cute little babies with rosy cheeks, blowing trumpets and flapping about with wings, all right, that's not the picture, okay? Uh, in the Bible, angels are strong and, and powerful, okay? Uh, they often uh, are warlike in a good way, defend others, that sort of thing. So you've got a council now in heaven, a, a, a whole bunch of, of the, the, the strongest, the mightiest, the best, 
the bravest, the most righteous angels. There they are in heaven. Not just you and me, mortal, fallen, simple creatures. These grand angelic archangels. And in that company, in that company, the psalmist writes, Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones. And awesome above all who are around him. I'm pretty confident that if an angel suddenly appeared here in all their splendor, you and I would be terrified. There's plenty of examples in the Bible of that happening. We would be terrified, but that is just a tiny fraction of the awesome power and majesty and might of God. So how does that make you feel? That this powerful, majestic, mighty God is present with us even though we cannot see him how does that make you feel for Ethan and Esther God's unimaginable power is something to be celebrated not something to be frightened of I think that's why Ethan read that psalm of praise because Ethan and Esther know that they need a powerful God to deal with their sin so they can be forgiven and cleansed they don't, want a, they don't want a God who hasn't got that power, who hasn't got that authority. They need that power, and you and I need it too. We need a powerful God. And that's why 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, stepped down from heaven to earth to be born as a baby. He looked weak. He was the strongest man who ever lived. He went around doing good. Unlike you and me, unlike Ethan and Esther, he met all of God's perfect standards. But despite that, he was killed as if he was the worst of criminals. On the cross, he cried out that he'd been forsaken by God. Why did that happen? Why did the best man who ever lived, why was he forsaken by God to die, to die the cruelest death you could possibly imagine? And God's answer is as stark as it is astonishing. As Jesus hung on the cross, he was willingly and lovingly taking on himself the sins of this world. My sins, Ethan's sins, Esther's sins, the sins of everyone whose faith is in him. He suffered our hell on the cross so that we could be rescued from hell. He paid the price for our sin so that no sin could be held against us. In other words, Ethan and Esther moved from spiritual death to spiritual life. Not because they're more holy or more religious than the rest of us. They move from spiritual death to spiritual life because Jesus Christ died for their sins. And God gave them faith to realize they were sinners deserving of God's wrath. And that their only hope was to put all their trust in Jesus and in him alone. And I'm thankful that their experience is far from unique. And many of us here this morning would say we've had exactly the same experience. But maybe not all of us. Maybe there are those of you here this morning for whom this is fresh and new. And you haven't had that experience of knowing the joy of sins forgiven and of peace with God seated in the heavenly realms. If that's the case, I would urge you to put your trust in Jesus Christ this morning. Confess your sin. Repent of it. and Call to him and ask that he would help you to follow him so that you too 
would be able to echo the words of Psalm 89 verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations.